great. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Dave. Um, Happy New Year to you all. Yeah, wonderful. There you go, up there. Happy New Year. Now, we had a bit of a breakdown, as I'm sure you know, with most of the technology this morning, so I'm really not sure what I'm going to say because normally, a little secret, uh, what I say is driven by my PowerPoint. So I know what I'm going to say, and I look at the PowerPoint, and you can put it in presenter view. You don't need to know this. And in presenter view, you know what's coming next. You see, because you can always see the next slide. So you go, ah, yeah, after I said that, I'm going to say this. And then I say that. Whereas everything's broken down. So though I've got this here, um, I can't really uh, tell because it's run from the back what I'm going to say next. So it could be basically anything. But we stick with (laughs) Happy New Year because that's up there. It's a really Happy New Year, actually, for Dave and Caroline. Caroline and Dave, who I can see up the back, and their birth of little Monty, who's making his first appearance as part of the church. Give them a round of applause. That's a wonderful thing. And, uh, yeah, you... uh, uh, And uh, is that Dave's mum? Hello, Dave's mum. Dave's mum as well. Give her a round of applause. Hey! (laughs) Great. And are any other members of the family here? No, it's just the the four of you now. What a wonderful start for the new year, isn't it? The birth of Monty. And what a great church member he is. He's only about six days old and he's already made an appearance. There you go. Uh, that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing. Like I say, a happy new year. And it's an extraordinary saying that. We roll it, it rolls up our tongue, happy new year. And the first word, of course, is happy. And the pursuit of happiness is a lifelong task, isn't it? So Leanne was showing us those uh, little memes and things which um, uh, you know, people have put up about pursuit of their goals through this year and Leanne's a kind of list person. I'm normally a list person actually, I haven't made a list this year at all but that's because I'm writing a, a giant book, it's called The Lost Message of Paul which I have to finish tonight because it has to go to the publisher tomorrow morning. So This is my first appearance in public for about 48 hours because I've just sat there typing and typing and typing and typing. I still have uh, most of a chapter to go. Ah, So, that's... uh, (laughs) But I promised the publishers that it's going to be with them by uh, tomorrow morning. So, um, uh, the pursuit of happiness for me has simply been reduced to the ability to knock out the last of these 70,000 words uh, before... Uh, tomorrow uh, morning. Happiness is a pursuit that we can put into a set of goals for this year or next year, but there was that great one that said, you know, what I want to do this year is what I should have done last year and what I planned the year before because I thought of it the year before that. Sometimes things, the important things in life, take us a lot longer than we'd hoped for or planned for. Sometimes they roll out very easily, but sometimes we get stuck. Perhaps a better approach than planning for a year at a time, although planning for a year at a time is a good thing. Like I say, I'm normally very much a listy type person, and there are things that I know once I start thinking about it, I'd like to achieve this year. But perhaps a better approach to life is to think about our life rather than a scheme of six months or 12 months starting you know, yesterday or ne- you know, next week. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. 
do you know that today, I'm sure you all know this, is the Feast of Epiphany? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, what's it? Did, did you know it's the Feast of Epiphany? It is the Feast of Epiphany, and the Feast of Epiphany is important. Uh, the Feast of Epiphany, of course, of course, I say, is, is when we remember the visit of the Magi to Jesus. And, you know, when somebody has a sudden flash, something they suddenly think, wow, that's a good idea, I'll do that, or... Oh, if only I'd have thought of that. We call it an epiphany, don't we? We say, I had an epiphany. He had an epiphany. She's had an epiphany. And the reason we use that word for a sudden inspiration is simply because of the story of the Magi. The Magi traveled to Jesus. They arrive and something is revealed to them. The epiphany, epiphany means to be revealed, something that is revealed. We read those words of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, taken from chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus simply says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks to them the door will be opened. But Jesus didn't add, though I'm sure he meant to say, but not necessarily over the course of this calendar year. This is a lifelong pursuit. The pursuit of real depth of happiness. The pursuit of joy. The pursuit of our calling. Oprah Winfrey, um, I remember listening to her say this. Perhaps there is only one question for any one of us has an obligation, a moral duty to answer during our lives. Perhaps just one question. And the question is this. What are you going to do with this precious life of yours? Summed up in uh, this next little phrase here. Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Mary Oliver, an author and poet. What are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? In actual fact, if we answer that question, and I realize that even as I say it, some of you sit in there and say, well, how? I wish I could answer that question. I can't answer that question. There's so many barriers to me answering that question. It's easy for you. It's easy for my friends. It's easy for my brother. But I just can't. So it's one thing for Oprah to say, we have an obligation to answer that question. But it's another thing to get it done. I think that's why Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But not necessarily in this calendar year. Asking and seeking takes courage. And that, of course, is the story of the Magi. These travelers, these philosophers... These wise people, um, Zoroastrians probably, as we all know, from Persia or beyond, they travel to Jesus. They know nothing much about him. They go to the wrong place to find him in the first place. They go to the palace instead of to the inn, instead of, instead of looking amongst the poor. They look amongst the rich, the elite, 
they've got a hunch and they're chasing it and it takes a lot of courage to not know where you're going. But that doesn't stop them. And I realise as I look out at you all this morning, because I know so many of you, I don't know you all, but I know so many of you, I know that this year, for some of you, holds uncertainty, ambiguity, challenged, uh, challenges of all sorts. And of course, for us as a nation, it holds uncertainty and ambiguity and challenge. Jesus' words are, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Exactly what we remember on the Feast of Epiphany. Now you know that the Feast of Epiphany happens the day after Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night is supposed to be when you take your Christmas decorations down. But ours are still up. But that's because there's an ambiguity about that as well. In fact, I was just uh, talking to Cornelia, my wife, the other day. She said, well, when, are we, when do we take the Christmas tree down? When's 12th night? When do, you do, when do you do that? Is it January the 5th or January the 6th? You know, there is a huge ambiguity even around that because there are two different ways of counting. It depends whether you count Christmas night in or out as the first night. And uh, so, the Anglican denomination who know all things, <laughs> the Anglican denomination officially, um, it's amazing, at, at 12, 12th night is the 5th, last night. All Anglicans in the world celebrated the 12th night of Christmas, and today is Epiphany, you see, the Feast of Epiphany. But if you're Greek Orthodox you believe that the 12th night is tonight. So here's a little kind of reminder. If you're not taking your Christmas tree down yet, <laughs> do it tonight. Now, why did we get into that muddle where we don't even know what the 12th night of Christmas is? Uh, we got into that muddle. Well, it's not a muddle, really. It's simply this. Of course, Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December, as we know. Do you know, um, uh, Jesus was probably born sometime in April, um, uh, he wasn't born on the 25th of December. The 25th of December used to be the winter solace. Um, it's now the 21st of December, isn't it? The darkest night, the, long, uh, the longest night, the shortest day, the darkest night, the 21st of December. Without boring you with the details of why it used to be the 25th and now it's the 21st, which is a long uh, story to do with the way that people calculate calendars around the world, um, by the 1600s, it had become a real muddle, and so uh, uh, somebody called Gregory, he was the Pope at the time, he came up with a new calendar, which you've probably heard of, it's called the Gregorian calendar, and, uh, and we in the West go with the Gregorian calendar, which is why Twelfth Night falls one day earlier in the West than it does in the East. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is true, but you're probably still as confused before you started. Why did I introduce that red herring, white elephant? Um, I introduced it simply because the reason that the birth of Jesus is celebrated on December the 25th, rather than in April, when we believe it actually happened, is because... The 25th used to be the winter solace. It used to be the darkest, longest night. When the calendar was reset in the 1600s, it got separated by three days. The darkest, longest night 
and then the dawn comes. Christianity, of course, was born in the Middle East where it's hot and sunny. It moved into the Northern Hemisphere uh, through Celtic tradition, really, and um, it's cold and dreary here. Do you know, I'll tell you this just because I'm writing this for my book, there are two completely different versions of hell. The fire of hell. But if you read Dante's um, Inferno, not suggesting you should, but um, <laughs> if you do read Dante's Inferno, Satan is encased in ice. The free hell freezing over. You know all that imagery? What is it, hot or is it cold? I have to tell you, I don't believe it exists at all. It's a metaphor. Uh, but that's a story for another day. But the point is... The, the, point is, the point is this. In the Middle East, what did you fear most? Fire. And of course, there was that rubbish dump burning outside Jerusalem called Gehenna. And Jesus said, live your life a different way. You don't want to live it like you're living it on a fiery rubbish dump. But when Christianity came to the Northern Hemisphere, everyone was scared of the freezing cold. And so now, hell was about ice. Hell is always about what you fear most because it's just a metaphor for not going that way, living a different way, living a joyous way. So once in the Northern Hemisphere, in Europe, where were you going to put the birth of Christmas? Where are you going to celebrate that? You put it at the darkest, coldest moment when the next day is going to be slightly longer and the light begins to come. That's why, December, that's why Christmas is celebrated on December the 25th. The dark is over. Now the light begins to dawn. Now something reveals to itself to us. But it comes steadily, bit by bit, day by day, day by day as the light grows. There's a rhythm in all of these things that we can learn for ourselves. We're past the darkest moment and the story is that Jesus is born into the darkest moment and he begins to bring hope and the light slowly grows and things are revealed. It's exciting to think about, isn't it? Some people go, oh, do you know, they stuck to the Christmas on December the 25th and everyone knows it was a pagan festival and it's not really Christmas and that's not when Jesus was born. Have you heard that one? Yeah, well, that's the point. That's the whole point. That's why they put it there. It's because as we arrive in any culture, the culture of Waterloo, the culture of our country, our job isn't to rubbish the culture. Our job is to see what's wonderful within the culture and to work with it. Which is why we run schools and a nursery and a coffee shop and a coffee house. Because our job isn't to be a people apart. Our job is to be a people engaged and involved. So you come to a culture and you take on its symbols. And you move forward with them. Does that make sense? So, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? We've got to search. We've got to seek. 
it takes courage because the light comes slowly. To some people, it comes in a blinding flash, but to most of us, we can't work it all out like Leanne can in two days and write it down on a massive list. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could all do that? But if we're worked, the story is all will be revealed. Seek and you will find. Seeking and finding is about ambiguity. It's about uncertainty. It's about not knowingness. It's complex. Seeking and finding, seeking and searching is about doubt. Faith, of course, isn't the lack of doubt, the absence of doubt, the abolition of doubt. Faith is courage in the doubt. Courage in the uncertainty. Courage in the face of doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Faith is the courage to keep going through the doubt, to keep searching, to keep looking for the light, even in the darkest moment. So I've got this little formula. It's a formula that one or two of you, or three or four of you, will recognize because um, I've sat with you over uh, coffees and we've talked uh, about this. Here's my formula for life, basically. G plus P plus V equals F. It's a little equation. And uh, it's, about, it's about the best way I think there is of actually finding the light bit by bit by bit. Sometimes instantly, sometimes over long term. But searching, it's the best way of asking, it's the best way of seeking, and it's the best way of knocking. G equals your gifts plus your learned skills. This all makes sense in the end. Our gifts and our learned skills are not always exactly the same thing. Here comes Marianne. Good morning, Marianne. Are you going to go and sit with Jerry? Okay, off you go. Hello, Marianne. There you go, on stage. <laughs> Give Marianne a round of applause. She's a wonderful person. <laughs> Great. Um, gifts. G equals gifts and learned skills. Your gifts and your le learned skills can be the same, but they're not always uh, always the same. F, by the way, is fulfillment in my little, uh, in, in my little thing. Uh, G plus P plus F equals, uh, plus V equals fulfillment. And to find fulfillment, first we need to know or, or become aware of, which is sometimes pretty hard, what our gifts and learned skills are. Our learned skills are often built around our gifts, but our gifts are, can be something different. And we don't recognize our gifts. We discount our gifts because a gift is something that you do naturally. A gift is a skill that you have that you've not worked at. It's just your sweet spot. You do it naturally. Now, the funny thing is, we can all look at everybody else that we know and we see their sweet spot. You'll say about your husband or your wife or your mum or your dad or your sons or your daughters or your grandchildren or your aunts or your uncles or your best mate. Oh, they're so good at that. They just do that naturally. They've got that inside them. You know, they've got that 
heart inside them. They, they have that ability to communicate, to connect. They're such a connector. They, they think they're such a logical thinker. So we can sum up other people's gifts and skills re, uh, uh, re, and learn skills really easily. But the problem is we discount our own. Wouldn't you be rich if you had a pound for every time someone says to you, no, oh, anyone can do that, it's not special. And you're thinking it is special, the fact that you can play the guitar or the piano or you can speak or you can write poetry or you can think like that or you can sit in a coffee shop and start a conversation with just anyone and it, you know, make them feel welcome in that moment or whatever. That that's such a gift, or you can relate to younger people than you are, or older people than you are. You can sum up and, and assess and analyze what's going on and articulate it clearly in a way that makes everyone else think, ah, that's how it fits together. That is a gift. But when we have a gift, we discount it and we go, oh, anyone can do that. Your gifts are the things that are just natural to you. Like, you know, I was listening to Ben just earlier. You know, isn't that amazing? He said, well, I'm going to learn all the parts and all the words and all the songs and all the tunes. And then he kind of adds, and all the harmonies. Now, do you know, I could live to be 350 and I could not do that. I just couldn't do it. That's not a doubt. That is like, I cannot do that. I've never successfully learned a harmony to anything in my life yet, let alone any of them, all of them, I mean. You see, that's a gift, but Ben just stands there, doesn't he? He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, you know, I'll do that. Yeah, well, I'm just ordinary. It's a gift. And the first way, the first bit of finding fulfillment in life is knowing what your gifts are which aren't necessarily your learned skills. Though if you have a gift, of course, you go on like Ben has done, using Ben as a convenient illustration, to, to ex you, what you do is you exploit that gift and you build skills on it. But it could be that you're sitting here and for some reason you've never had a chance to explore your gifts. Because you had a dad who said, don't be stupid, you'll never be any good at that. You had a school that said, you're not the kind of kid that could do that. So you have inside you this thing, and it's never, ever got out. It's kind of submerged there. You long for it, but you've never been able to express it. You will not find fulfillment until you have the courage to explore the gifts that you've got. And that may start this year, but it may take you the next five years or ten years or twenty years. Because that's the way things are. Your passion. Our gifts, when not used in line with our passion, leave us bored. So, I know people, I, I have a very good friend um, who um, was really good at maths. He is really good at maths. Maths, anything to do with numbers. And worked as an accountant. A, a really highly qualified accountant. And was absolutely bored, stiff. And, and, and I constantly said to him, but you love numbers, you're great with numbers. You, you, 
you know, you pass every accountancy exam there is, like, you know, falling off a log. And he said, yeah, but I hate what I'm doing. I hate my job. And then one day he says to me, you know, the thing I hate about it is, well, in actual fact, at that time, his job was um, personal tax. And uh, he spent his life, he told me, making rich people even richer. He said, all I ever do is I look at the accounts, the tax affairs of rich footballers. And I make young rich footballers who don't need all that money and don't know how to spend it and shouldn't have it, in my opinion, even richer by dodging as much tax law as they can. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing that. So I said, well, what do you want to do? This is what he said. He said, I explored his passion with him. He said, I want to be a youth worker. Stuart's up in the corner. He is a youth worker. I want to be a youth worker, he said. So this conversation happened over a, a while, not just, you know, a half hour over a cup of coffee. And I said, but what do you know about youth work? Oh, nothing. But I want to work with young people. To cut a long story short, he's now a maths teacher. He works with young people and yet he's brought all of his natural talent, all of those skills in line with his passion. Do you see? Bring your skills in line with your passion. For some of us, discovering our sweet spot, it, we still need encouragement from our friends. If you've got a friend, and we've all got friends, tell them what they're good at. It's one of those extraordinary things in our culture. Um, because I'm a, a, a vicar, a minister, I go to more funerals than most people in life. I go to endless funerals. I, take, I tend to take them all. That's why I'm there. And I hear endlessly at funerals relatives and friends singing the praise of the person who's in the box. It's too late. But there's something about our Britishness that means that we will not say those things. Somehow we can't bring ourselves to say all the things that we really know about this person until they're in a box. Look at your best friend and have enough respect for them to not wait until they're dead to tell them what you love about them, what's great about them, what's... What, what you admire about them, what they do naturally that others can't do. Bringing our gifts and our passion together, the first two parts of fulfillment. And the last bit is the V, adding our core beliefs, our values. So, my friend who made the switch from accountancy to maths teaching is working with young people, his passion, using his gifts, his maths, and they're attached to his core values because he cares about justice. And that's actually the second reason why he didn't like being an accountant and making rich people even richer by dodging as many tax laws as they could legally because it was an affront to his sense of justice and equality. But the new role he works in means that he uses all of his gifts 
in line with his passion and in line with his core values. The stuff that Nathan and the band have been leading us in this morning as we've sung. We've sung some brilliant songs. We've sung some awesome lyrics. And if only we could take what we sing and turn it into reality for every person in this borough, let alone across our city, that would be an extraordinary thing. So G plus P plus V equals fulfillment. And like I say, I can't tell you you can do this in 2019, but I tell you this, if we begin today, it's the best way of using the time that we have as we go forward. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Epiphany. The beginning of the slow but sure coming of the light into darkness. The revealing of the truth. These magi find Jesus. And even in this, with their search being over and finding him, yet they find a king who's a baby. They find a baby in a poor family, in a poor family on the run. And even in their finding, there's still so much mystery. I've been, I've spent my life seeking, searching, knocking. And I find that every answer you receive just reveals another question to be answered. It's an ongoing journey. My prayer is for you this year that God will bless you in that ongoing journey. Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Which leads us to the last slide that simply says, happy new year, happy life. A life not free from pain, a not life not free from ambiguity or hardship, but a life spent doing what you were put on earth to do. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray for one another. We want to pray for everyone from the youngest to the oldest here. For little Monty, for each one of us. Our prayer is the same thing. That through listening and searching and seeking and learning, you will reveal to us the plan the purpose of our one wild and precious life. As we think of Monty and his life ahead of him, learning every day already, us reaching the place where he's constantly working out why, how. Help us to live in that place too, to search, to ask, to seek to follow. Lord Jesus, as we follow you, reveal to us our part in your big story. This is our prayer. Amen.